What is crackalacking, Hardwood Knox listeners? I am Dan Valley coming at you without my fantabulous co-host Adam Promo this time. I am, however, super pleased to be joined by recurring guest and friend of the pod, Sabrina Merchant. Writes a lot about basketball for SB Nation. She also just recently became the ba- the women's basketball director for SB Nation and over at Swish Appeal there. She's now covering women's basketball full-time, and we're doing a little bit of a different podcast format here. I hope that you can appreciate it. We've wanted to pepper in and figure out how we can offer uh, more WNBA coverage on this podcast. Uh, I myself have not been religiously into it. I was getting more into it right before the pandemic, and then at that point, there was some overlap with NBA scheduling, but also I just became overemployed. That's a shit ton of excuses. I'm not trying to say that I probably couldn't have carved out more time to do it. It is a focus now after a wild free agency period and start to the offseason for them. And we get into a lot of that with Sabrina Merchant for anyone who's just more interested in following the WNBA more intimately. And I think it's a, a great idea to do so, not just to show support, but to actually just take in the product, which is, you know, having worked in social media, um, consulting industry until recently like i was part of doing you know women's march madness some of the WNBA coverage and so you watch these games see these highlights uh it's incredible and it's fun and i think that there are you know there's there's great websites out there that are it's cool to see you know sb nation investing in a full-time person to help cover women's basketball and there are sites out there you know her her hoop stats um the next uh, subscribe to their newsletter there are a lot of good writers and people out there doing great work i also have to shout out the the dunker spot podcast does a good job i think of at least choppering in to talk about the wmba and mixing it in with their mba coverage uh we would like to do something similar we don't get as nuts and boltsy and x's and o's as the awesome 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 steve jones and nikaias duncan over there but we would like to try and roll these out i don't know how regular it will be but like i said i'm getting more into it um, we know people who cover the WNBA, uh, maybe not exclusive, exclusively, but more thoroughly than us. And so this might be something that, again, hopefully you can enjoy and appreciate, try and get into, um, and that we will roll out every once in a while. Before we dive in, I also want to note there's plenty of NBA talk on this at the end of the podcast or after talking about WNBA free agency. We get into our biggest questions um, post-All-Star break for the Western Conference. I'm going to have a, probably an Eastern Conference podcast uh, specifically for this topic where we might even have more questions for the East. It just feels like that race is more unsettled than what's happening in the West for the most part. Finally, the usual housekeeping notes. And this time it's a plea. We had someone one star us on iTunes. So please and write a review saying we talked for 30 minutes about COVID on the last pod, which wherever you land on the Kyrie Irving stuff, I clocked it at maybe seven minutes and change. And I'm pretty sure that was including an intro that wasn't all about Kyrie Irving. So please help us out. Go over to iTunes if you haven't already. Don't care if you use it as long as you have access to it. Throw us a five-star rating and also write reviews so that we can nudge the the one star off of there and and help our our average out. So subscribe to us, rate and review us wherever you're getting your podcast if they allow you. Spotify lets you throw in ratings now. Five stars only, write reviews. Helps us out a ton. Follow us on Twitter at Hardwood Knox. Follow us on YouTube. That can help us out a ton in our quest to get up there to a a thousand followers, uh, youtube.com search hardwood Knox will come up. The link is in our podcast description as is the link to our discord. Come join us. We have a lot of fun in there. That's where a lion's share of our mailbag questions are coming from at this point. Uh, we really want to help build up that community. And it was, it was great leading into the trade deadline. Uh, we still have people talking now, especially when, when games are on. So yeah, dive right in there, come in there, hang out, talk about what's going on. Uh, in All-Star Weekend, unless you're listening to this after All-Star Weekend, in which case, just go subscribe to the Discord anyway. However, that's enough of me rambling on. Let's talk to Sabrina Merchant, who just does such a fantastic job, um, covered basketball at large for SB Nation, like I said, is now the Women's Basketball Director uh, for SB Nation. Follow her on Twitter. is a fantastic follow. Gets into really the granular stuff of the WNBA, even the NBA still, which is why we talk about the Western Conference. She's, again, on Twitter, at SabrinaJM. That's at S-A-B-R-E-E-N-A-J-M. Apologies for this long intro that is still fewer than 30 minutes long. Uh, but, yeah, that's, that's enough. Let's go talk lots and lots of hoops with Sabrina. Sabrina, welcome back to the Hardwood Knox podcast. Thank you so much for joining us as usual. First and foremost, before we even ask you how you're doing, congratulations 
on your new gig covering women's basketball at SB Nation. That's really spectacular. And I'm elated that you agreed to come on for our, this podcast's first time stepping into the waters of WNBA coverage. So I'm very appreciative of it, but also just major congrats and congrats to SB Nation. We got to do a better job of that. Like, let's congratulate the companies for making the smart hires rather than making it look like, oh, you're so fortunate to have landed with this company. SB Nation is lucky to have you. Thank you. Thank you. That's that's very kind of you. And yeah, when I got to SB Nation, one of the things that I wanted to do more of was women's basketball. And because of just like the crazy pandemic schedules, it was not possible while I was covering NBA. So it's kind of cool that now I get to focus on just this one thing in particular. And like you mentioned, uh, I love talking WNBA. So I'm very happy to be on the show to talk about free agency. I did when you announced it, I saw that you had mentioned, or maybe it was in the piece you wrote about it, uh, that you came to realize that was what you wanted to do was to focus on the mm-hmm. women's side of the game. Was that like a gradual process an epiphany? When did this sort of like, when did that become clear for you? Because you've written a lot about like the, you've been on the podcast before to talk about the NBA. You've written a lot about mm-hmm. the, the NBA. Yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting because, you know, another thing I mentioned in that piece, uh, when I wrote about the new gig was that there's. I was a little just uh, trepidatious, let's say, of being pigeonholed into women's basketball coverage just because I'm a woman, I'm a woman writing about sports and I didn't want to be just put in that box of, hey, you should also write about women. But the the longer I've been in this, and like I, don't get me wrong, I love talking about the NBA. I love Clippers Lakers. It's been a great like thing for me in my Lakers. career, and I'm very happy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm very happy that I've had the opportunity to cover both of those teams, you know, and the Sacramento Kings too. But just Seeing the depth of coverage that men get and just the chasm that exists between men's sports coverage and women's sports coverage, like there's no reason that that should exist. And I love watching basketball. So just to have an opportunity to cover basketball and, you know, in a space that deserves more coverage and a league that I think would people would really like to watch. So I'm just happy to be a part of WNBA coverage. And, you know, it's, it's just another fun opportunity for me, right? Like there's, there's so much saturation in the men's basketball space and uh, not to say that that's a bad thing. Like we get some really good coverage, but I just want that to exist for women as well. And there's no reason why it shouldn't. So, you know, one small step here. Well, that's dope as hell. I'm excited to see you kill it. And uh, I know we're like kind of a little bit removed from the peak of free agency for the WNBA, but like this was kind mm-hmm. of a good off season where if the NBA like draws all this interest because of the transaction game, uh, it seemed like WNBA free agency was like out of like control this off season. Yeah. <laughs> like it was busier than usual, or at least the, some of the moves that were made were bigger than usual. Yeah. I would say the last three seasons, ever since the, uh, new collective bargaining agreement was established, there's just been an astronomical increase in player movement. And I was worried that it was going to just be limited to that first year when there was a cap spike, like sort of like what we saw in the NBA in 2016. But like, thankfully it's just continued ever since. and this ability for, you know, players in the W to finally like have real player movement is just awesome because like you said, it creates so much more interest. And I think it's just better for the teams because you have to work harder to keep your best players. And there's just this continuous arms race, which is awesome. The, one of the teams that stood out to me from free agency was the the Mercury who went, seems like very much all in, like you just don't see a team as good as the Mercury were last season, then just go add the leading scorer. Um, Charles. So what did you kind of think about between getting Charles, um, the shields, what did you think about their decision to go that much all in, especially when you look at, they did give up a 2023 first rounder, I think for the shields. Did you agree with like, I know you have Diana Taurasi, your windows now, but did you agree with Mm -hmm. like the, the aggression with which they approached, uh, the off season this year? Absolutely. Um, like you said, you know, Diana Taurasi, I don't know if it's her last year or not, but this is the last year of her contract and you just can't expect her to continue playing, especially at the level that she has been for that much longer. So as long as you have, you know, what the WNBA collectively recognizes the goat on your team, you just, you have to go all. And I, I don't think there's any qualms about giving up a first round pick in an upcoming season. Like, and frankly, the Mercury have been operating on this type of people for like several years. They haven't selected in the first round since maybe 2018, 2019. Oh, holy so, shit. Uh, this is this is just what they do. You know, they get veterans and they just go all in as best as possible. And I think it's the right move because um, they just 
needed some extra offensive firepower. And like, like you said, adding the league's leading scorer from a year ago who can actually play next to your best players is a pretty good way of going about it. Like I understand it's going to make some changes to their starting lineup because Brianna Turner, who is a fantastic defensive player, probably won't be starting for them. And Tina Charles will be taking her place. But when you can upgrade like a semi-average post player into Tina Charles, one of like the greatest of all time at her position and a reigning Olympian and scoring champion. And really like, yeah, you gave up a pick, but who who cares in the grand scheme of things? <laughs> like, uh, I I think it's a slam dunk move. Um, the DeShield trade I was a little less high on. Uh, it fills a positional need because they're starting small forward for this season tore her ACL during last year's playoffs, so it's going to be really hard for her to come back this season. Uh, so you just needed someone to fill that spot. Uh, so logically, I get it because all they gave up was a point guard who really wasn't playing for them much last season. So just uh, fit-wise, it makes a lot of sense. But DeShield has been... I don't know, a lot more potential than actual production for the last three years. And there's a reason why Chicago, the defending champions, was like, yeah, we can let her go. Uh, Do we see, so I I guess based off what you said, we're going to see a lot of Tina Charles and Brittany Griner play together. And how does that, like, Mm -hmm. is there any concerns there? Is this just like a pure upside when looking at those two and how they complement one another? I would think it's mostly upside. Um, So... Tina Charles was on the Olympic team, like I said, as was Brittany Griner. They didn't directly play together. Uh, Brittany played mostly next to Asia Wilson, and Tina Charles played mostly next to Sylvia Fowles. But Charles was the four on that Olympic team, and she expanded her range significantly last year, like uh, shot 35-plus percent from threes as a member of the Mystics. So she has the shooting range to complement Brittany, and Griner can also step out and hit that mid-ranger too. So both of them are just such versatile offensive players that I don't think it's going to be an issue at all having the two of them on the court together, especially when you consider that Charles will be replacing Turner, who really her only function on offense is like offensive rebounding and a lob threat. So it's not like they were, they had great spacing before this anyway. Do they have the, I was scrolling through like the projected starting lineups for each team. Do they have the best starting five in, in the league? That's a good question. Um, you know, Connecticut had the best record in the league last year, and they returned four of those five starters along with Courtney Williams, who has been on Connecticut before. So I think they're right up there. Um, Chicago did just win the title, and if they bring back Allie Quigley, they'll be able to bring back last year's starting lineup. So there's a lot of teams in contention. I haven't even mentioned Seattle, who I think has the best player in the league, and Brandon Stewart. So uh, the fact that we can have this discussion just tells you how hard every team is going for the 2022 WNBA title. Uh, I I don't really know who it is yet. Um, you could say that it's Phoenix and I wouldn't argue with you, but you could say it's four other teams and I'd be like, yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess the other thing is like, do we, what do, what do you know or expect from like having the new head coach and Vanessa Nygaard there? Yeah, that's kind of the un, underrated part of the Phoenix offseason because Sandy Brandello, I think is an awesome head coach. And the fact that they just decided it was time to move on from her. Like I get it's been eight years, but it's not like it was an unsuccessful eight years. Like she went to the playoffs every single season, you know, made it to the finals a couple times, the semifinals multiple times, uh, just because the Mercury haven't won a title since 2014 doesn't mean I think that they were underachieving by any means. Like I think the fact that this team made it to the finals last year is a real testament to Rondell's coaching and the way they were able to adapt, especially in that series against Vegas. So losing here is a really, really big loss. And I think New York is going to benefit quite a bit from having hired Sandy. We just don't know anything about Vanessa Nygaard. Like her main claim to fame is that she was a high school coach in Southern California um, and like a really great high school program. Let's, let's not like discount that, but like it's not the WNBA. So she was an assistant coach last year for Vegas. Incidentally, the team that lost to Phoenix in the playoffs so I, I just don't know what what to think of her. Um, it's it's really big shoes to fill. Like it's an incredibly difficult assignment to step into right away. Uh, I don't know, kind of like analogous to like what what Steve Kerr was stepping into with the Warriors, but like even more pressure because it's not like you know Stephen Curry was at the end of his career when Steve Kerr stepped into that job, um, or coming off a finals appearance when Steve Kerr or coming off a finals appearance, right? Yeah. So I think like there's just so much unknown there. Uh, and you don't, I don't know, you don't often see like coaches just immediately come in and have success in the W like you do in the NBA. I mean, there's been a lot of first time head coaches that just immediately won a title, like three in the last six seasons, I think. 
but uh that that's the that's my major concern about the Mercury. Honestly, it's not anything with the roster. It's just I have no idea what to expect from Vanessa, and they they obviously hired her for a reason. You know, this is not an organization that is like pinching pennies or uh, not going to get the best coach possible. But it's it's a question mark to say the least. What is it? You know, you mentioned Brondell leaving. I think it was framed from the reporting. I saw that it was mutual, which probably means that it wasn't mutual. Was right. it just a staleness there? Like what was, and I know Brondell is still coaching, but it's like, what was the reasoning? You just, I get the 10 years long, but you just came off and you were two wins away too. It's not like you just got obliterated necessarily. Like you were two wins right. away. You know, so her contract was up. So it's not like they fired her by any means. Like they decided not to bring her back. Um, I I think it was just a, a time for something new, you know? Uh, and that's, that's fair, I guess. It's just to go for a rookie head coach um, is is interesting to me. You know, it's not it's not what I would have done. I think Rondella is like one of the top three coaches in the league. So for her to move on is it's a big win for the Liberty. That's all I'm gonna say. This next team, full disclosure, the only thing that I actually cared about this offseason was that Sue Bird was going to play again next year, and Sue Bird is going to play again next year. But did the did Seattle like do enough when you look at yeah they predominantly kept their own free agents like is that a team that we need to watch what do we expect from uh, you know you mentioned you think Brianna Stewart's the best player in the league what do we expect from her coming off that Achilles injury she's just going to be ready for the start of the year yeah that that's the main question to me because uh, when I talked to her back in December she said that there was no real timeline for her uh, to come back because she wanted to play for her Russian team before the start of this WNBA season and that hasn't happened yet. So that's a little concerning. Um, she was at the USA camp for their World Cup qualifiers, but she wasn't on the team that actually played in the qualifiers. So just little things that don't make you entirely excited about what Brianna Stewart is going to be capable of this year. But uh, if I've learned anything, it's just not to bet against Stewie unless she's like, you know, in a boot on the sideline. And she's not in a boot anymore. So that's a good thing. <laughs> um, uh, I think Seattle had a pretty, I don't know, like, Fine offseason, you know, the, the majority was keeping their three-star free agents, which Super, Jewel Lloyd, and Brianna are all back. Um, we could talk about the length of those contracts some other time because next year is going to be equally challenging for the storm as far as the offseason goes. Uh, I think they did a good job by getting Brian January in, just like another nice defensive guard who can help complement Super, who also spaces the floor, which just wasn't the case with Jordan Canada, their like defensive-minded guard from a year ago. Um, I thought their trade for Gabby Williams was a little weird, uh, just like another other ball handler who doesn't shoot um seems like they got rid of one in Canada and then brought another one back and Gabby Williams and I I feel like the Seattle offense just works best when there's as much space and like driving kick as much as possible so that was a weird move to me um but yeah like this was a team that I thought was going to win another title before Stewie got hurt and they have those key pieces back and so long as she and Lloyd and Bird play together like that team is is damn near diff, like impossible to beat. So, I was looking at Jewel Lloyd's clutch stats from last season, and they were just absolutely through the roof. She might have been the, yeah. <laughs> the clutchest player in, in the WNBA last year. I mean, year. they don't call her the gold mamba for nothing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so you would build them as, like, would you build them as a, as a real threat to win it all last year? Is this very much just absolutely. like, okay. Even yeah. like with the uncertainty with Stewart. Yeah, because until she says that she's not ready to play this season, which was not the vibe at all um, in her free agency press conference last week, then I'd expect her to be back, you know, in May and ready to go. The I I guess you I don't know what you could have expected them to do after they just won, but like the Chicago Sky, kind of like uh, I think only a few days before recording this, Courtney Vandersloot is like officially coming back, and that was I don't know if it was up mm-hmm. in the air or if it was just like you know fake drama that was always going to play out. Um, and she was always returning. Do you think that they're still, I, unless I'm mistaken, they're basically bringing back most of the same team. Like, are they going to be able to put up a a viable title defense? And also just given when you go back and look at the past champions, how hard it's proven over the past decade and a half to actually defend your title or two decades, basically at this point. Yeah. So the last team to successfully defend a title in the WNBA was the Los Angeles Sparks back in 2003, 2002, 2003. So it's, it's been a minute. <laughs> Um, it's not a thing that happens all that often in the WNBA. 2002, sorry, they won in 01 and 02. Um, 
So yeah, it'll it's been 20 years since the team repeated at the WNBA. So it's it's challenging. I just showed my age by saying like a decade because 2002 yeah. was like maybe a decade, decade <laughs> and a half ago. It's really two decades ago. <laughs> it's really two decades. Uh, the thing with Chicago, and it kind of reminds me about Phoenix that I should have mentioned earlier, is that the way they played in the playoffs was so markedly better than the way they played during the regular season that um, it's you don't really know which team you're getting when it, it comes to like May 7th when the season tips off. And that might actually be another reason why Sandy Brandella was let go because for as well as they perform in the playoffs, like they were a perennially disappointing regular season team, Phoenix Mercury were, and they had to win a lot of like single elimination games just to stay alive in the playoffs. And it's great that they were able to, but you don't want to always put yourself in that position. Um, So that's kind of the thing with Chicago too, is that like, these were the five and six seeds um, out of 12 teams during the regular season. And yeah, it's great that Chicago looks so dominant on their playoff run, but they were 16 and 16 during the regular season. And that's not exactly like, screaming title contenders. So they did bring back the majority of the rotation during the title run. Uh, Stephanie Jolson is gone, but they replaced her somewhat with Emma Miesemann, who's just a phenomenal passer, finals MVP in 2019, great scorer. Like, uh, I think that's an upgrade in, with all due respect to Dolson, like in every sense of the word. Uh, the salute thing, um, there was just like a little bit of drama because her Russian team was offering to pay her to sit out this season in order to spend more time with their EuroLeague club. Uh, and thankfully for all WNBA fans, that did not happen. Um, and it's not like unprecedented. I, I don't know if you remember, but Diana Taurasi was paid back in 2015 to sit out the entire season. And she did because it was substantially more than her WNBA contract. So it's just a good thing for the WNBA that one of their best players, I think the best point guard in the league is not going to be setting out because that would just suck for everyone involved. Um, the only thing Chicago is really waiting on is Courtney Vandersloot's wife, Allie Quigley, their starting shooting guard if she chooses to retire or come back. Um, Cause I don't think she's playing anywhere else. So if quickly comes back, which I'm assuming she will like, this is a team that everyone projected to compete for a title last year. And even though the regular season was a little underwhelming, you can kind of chalk that up to injuries. I think they found something during the playoffs and that rotation is, is back um, relying on like Candace Parker's health once again, which, you know, it's just, just getting up there. Like it's not, it's not a given that she's going to be playing like 80% of your games anymore. So I think Chicago is another team where maybe the regular season doesn't look super smooth, but so long as they have all of their pieces in place, like I trust them to look just as good as they did in the playoffs as they did a year ago. I will say I would kill to have an age, was it 35 season like Candace Parker just did? <laughs> yeah. so no complaints from me there. No complaints. That's actually leads me to a question that I didn't send you in that line. How many of these players are like still playing year round in this league? That's a good question. Um, I would say everyone, like most players who are like pre 30 play year round. Um, and then it starts to drop off after that. Um, you'll see some situations where they still go play overseas, but it's not for the entire overseas season. Like they'll take a break up until January and then head over to start playing for their European team or Australia or Israel or wherever they happen to be playing. Um, the, the bigger names who can afford it, you know, start taking off like Candace Parker, obviously like Moonlights as a analyst instead of going to play overseas. Very now. good one as well. Who's able to? Yeah, very good one. Um, glorious. I would say uh, among like the young stars, Asia Wilson's the only one who doesn't play, or Jewel Lloyd as well. Asia Wilson and Jewel Lloyd are the only ones who don't play overseas. Everyone else pretty much does. Um, and then they get to the point when they're like thirty-ish and they decide to stop because they've banked enough money or they're you know got the endorsement deals coming in, and it just doesn't make sense for their bodies to have to play overseas that much. But the the not so big stars like they still play overseas their entire careers uh even as they get older like we're talking about um Brian January earlier with the Seattle Storm i think she is still playing overseas this season even though she is 35 and she's already announced this is her last year in the WNBA uh so that's just an idea of like the 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 dual uh gigs that they're still forced to do the the LA Sparks specifically missed the playoffs for the first time in half a decade. Did they do enough? I know, you know, Liz Cambage, like that was the big one. Um, Kennedy Carter, who I knew nothing about really, and I went back and was watching just film on her, and I know when she played 11 games for the Dream last year, and like she did not shoot the ball well, but there's like film of her like really just like stroking it. Like it is, it is incredible. Yeah. Did they do enough to like to re-enter the the playoff discussion or are they still sort of just on the lower end of, or the, the contender discussion, or are they sort of on the lower end of that rung? 
I wouldn't put the Sparks in the contender discussion yet. Uh, I think the goal this season was to get back in the playoff hunt um, because, like you mentioned, they missed the playoffs for the first time in a decade, actually, since 20, decade? 2011 was the last time they missed the playoffs. Um, so it was it was a nice, successful run for them. But, like, you know, Candace Parker overlaps for a lot of that. So uh, that might have had something to do with it. Candace Parker, NECA. NECA was um, not healthy for a good chunk of last season as well. So... I like what they did this offseason quite a bit because it seemed like they were hamstrung financially by all of the contracts they handed out in 2021. And they did a good job of getting out of a couple of those um, to turn Erica Wheeler into Kennedy Carter, even if it cost them a first round pick, which might be a heavy price, but like you kind of can convince yourself that Kennedy's that first round pick because she is incredibly explosive in the half court. Like she can stroke it. Um, her handle is maybe the best in the WNBA. Like it's outstanding. Her rookie season highlights from the bubble are truly, truly spectacular. There's a reason why she was available from the Atlanta Dream, and it's because she has had some locker room troubles with that. Dream. And, uh, you know, the Dream were not, that's not an isolated incident on the Dream, to be fair to Kennedy Carter. Like, there there was a video that surfaced of two players on the Dream getting into a fight outside of a food truck, you know, earlier this year. And um, one of their best players, uh, who was an all-star, and the Dream said that they were not bringing her back because of, you know, team values that they were trying to create. So, uh I don't know how much of it's place on the Atlanta dream culture versus Kennedy Carter. Uh, as a Sparks fan, I'm going to put all of it on the Atlanta dream <laughs> culture and not uh, Kennedy Carter, but like there is a, there's going to be some managing for Derek Fisher and the veterans in the Sparks locker room next year. Uh, like, I don't think they would have done any of these moves had Neko Gumake not signed off on them. So for them to bring in Liz Cambage, who is, you know, one of the more outspoken stars in the WNBA, she's, very willing to say things all the time and that are not the most complimentary, obviously. And then to bring in Kennedy Carter, uh, two extremely talented players who are way better than what the Sparks were having at their position a year ago. But it's going to be tricky just to manage all of those egos and personalities together. Uh, it's going to be freaking fascinating to watch on the basketball court because just to have a a guard who can actually shoot and get to the rim the way Kennedy Carter can, and to have a post who commands just attention the way Liz does, who can play next to NECA too, just elevates this team's offensive ceiling far beyond what they were capable of a year ago. Um, I do think just the uncertainty and like having to fit all these new pieces together prevents me from putting them on the same level as those teams we talked about earlier, but definitely like this team only finished one game out of the playoffs a year ago. It wasn't that far back. And that was, be, I, I think mainly because they were missing their, their best players for most of the season, like for injuries. So mm-hmm. I, I'd put them in that playoff consideration fairly comfortably, but still, I think a step away from top tier contender. Did they do enough to sort of, and like you said, there were injuries last year, but 0.923 points per possession on offense last it's year. Odd. It's awful. And it was, by, it was the worst <laughs> offense by like, a pretty cosmic margin. And you know, uh, sometimes did, you look at the numbers and you think it doesn't really stack up with what you watched. Like that number feels charitable considering what the Sparks offense looked oh like. <laughs> so did they do enough to sort of be like, do we expect Kennedy Carter to get a real shot to play a role then? If knowing mm-hmm. that if that was like their baseline, even if they're healthier, it seems like they need like a lot of help. And also how does Jordan, they did have to their credit, what were they in defense? I had it right up here. They were the third best defense in the league. Like feels yeah, like Jordan third, Canada, yeah ends up really bolstering that, which is maybe not necessarily something that they needed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I think they're going to have a good defense regardless. Like I think they've been top three every year since Derek Fisher came, which coincidentally is when Letitia Chamel, their assistant coordinator who runs defense also came. So I'm not worried about the sparks defense one bit. Like you could swap out a lot of the talent. I feel like I'm talking about the Lakers at this point. You could swap out a lot of the defensive talent and I trust them to coax, uh, you know, an above average defense in the league. Liz is just an awesome offensive player and adding Katie Lou Samuelson too, just like a little bit of floor spacing that they really did not have a year ago. I think it's going to help quite a bit. If they could just keep Chrissy Tolliver healthy, honestly, like she played 19 out of the 32 games last year and they were 10 and nine in those games. And I want to say like one and 11 or one and 12 when she didn't play, like it was really bad when she didn't play. So just having like two shooters on the court at all times, like if they start, you know, Canada, uh, Tolliver, Samuelson, NECA, and Cambage. Like that is a real life 
functional spacing lineup, which just did not exist on the Sparks a year ago. <laughs> so you're saying Derek Fisher did a good job over the offseason. I think this is a really good offseason. I mean, we're going to be checking out the status of that 2023 first rounder for most of the year. Like if Sparks missed the playoffs, that's a catastrophe. But I don't think they will. And in which case, like to give up a non-lotto pick for Kennedy Carter, good decision. Last year's two best regular season teams, the Sun and the Aces, had, uh, I guess, like final. I mean, you keep John Coyle Jones, you win the offseason in, in some respect if, if you're the Sun. Uh, mm-hmm. But do, should we expect either of those teams to take a, a step back? And the one I'm kind of just looking at the coaching change with Becky Hammond coming in, does that signal like sort of a different direction? Or do you expect both of these teams to sort of be near the, the top of the league again? Yeah, so let's start with the Sun. Um, it was such a weird end to their regular season because they had, you know, just blitzed through the regular season with their top five and, you know, minor contributions off the bench. Kurt Miller runs one of the shortest rotations in the league. And it's hilarious because like, you'd think a team that's that good would just be able to throw in their bench players more often, but he, he, he likes his seven players and he sticks with the seven players. Um, but then with the reintroduction of Alyssa Thomas, it was, real challenge for them to navigate the front court minutes with John Quill Jones, Alyssa Thomas and Bree Jones. And I would hope that they have a better understanding of how to navigate those three together this upcoming season, because it was very clear that like the, the Connecticut sun played one way during the playoffs. And then Alyssa Thomas came in and played another way. And that was a really hard balance to strike during the postseason, And they, they ended up not being able to. So I think the main challenge this off season is just figuring out how to work all those three players together because you cannot play all three of them at the same time. Like that is impossible, but just figuring out how to keep the style of play a little more cohesive is the main challenge. They have enough talent where I think they're going to be great during the regular season. Um, and then I think Courtney Williams provides a nice little just offensive jolt that they didn't have. Like their perimeter players are excellent defenders, but it's just a little bit redundant when like everybody on the roster is a good defender. You, you don't need two ball stoppers at, you know, at the point of attack. So bringing in Courtney Williams who can like actually create her own shot, uh, which is something Brian January could not do, I think is going to help quite a bit. Um, and also like someone who can deliver an entry pass to John Quill Jones, which proved surprisingly challenging against Chicago's defense during the playoffs. <laughs> uh, that's, that's a huge help. Um, so I think, I think they're going to be just as good during the regular season. I, I remain, I'm not going to say unconvinced, but I have some questions about their playoff upside still. I'm just not sure that they have quite enough offense to get over the hump, but that's a question for like, you know, six months down the line. Uh, as far as the aces, um, you know, losing Cambage is, is not nothing, but they have so much front court depth. Like you just start Derek Hamby next to Asia Wilson. And I think they're going to be just fine during the regular season. And there's always sort of been like a clunky fit between Asia and Liz because neither of them, you know, want to space out that much. And I think this is where the Becky Hammond hiring is really going to show itself because Bill Ambeer loves his two big lineups, hates taking no. threes. Bill Ambeer. Uh, like everything that you've known about Bill Ambeer for the last 50 years still applies as head coach of the Los Angeles, I'm uh, sorry, Las Vegas Aces in 2021. So just modernizing that offense a little bit, I think will help quite a bit. Um, I, I am still just befuddled as to what happened to the Aces in the playoffs. Like this is a team that was racking everybody else during the regular season. Their only problems are when they got hit with COVID. Uh, and I still have no idea what happened to them during that series against Phoenix, how they lost, how like Liz Cambage allowed herself to be blocked by Diana Taurasi, how they were just allowing open threes on ATOs. Uh, they needed a change, like something needed to give. And to bring in a head coach who has the promise of Becky Hammond, who just by all accounts is just whip smart and super ready to take control of her own team. We could be looking back at that as the most important change of the offseason, even after all of the player things we already talked about. Does uh, and to your point about Bill and Beer, they averaged 16.2 three-point attempts per 100 possessions last year, which is basically five three-point attempts over the second to last team in Indiana. Five fewer three-point attempts in the second yeah. last Indiana Beaver. Uh, I'm assuming and they have good shooters. Like shot 37.5%. Williams, good shooter. Yeah. Yeah, only the storm. I'm looking at only have a higher three-point percentage. I'm thinking that number will go up. With Becky Hammond, yeah, I'm, I'm that number will go up. Um, what are, are they losing? Anything? I, I think the one I'm going to hear you mention was Angel McCautry. Did they lose anything substantial in her? Like, what is that? Like, does that create any sort of a void, or is that just a non-issue? 
Yeah, so Angel was out the entire season last year with the torn ACL, and uh, they they did just fine without her. I mean, I think they could have used her during the playoffs, uh, mostly for that just veteran calming presence that she ended up being during the 2020 playoffs. But I think they'll be okay without her. Uh, I do wonder if they have like a real three on this roster. Like Jackie Young, I guess, is their small forward. Uh, she's not quite the the jump shooter that Angel McCautry is, but she's gotten so much better every single season. And even without being a three-point shooter, which I imagine Becky Hammond will coax her to being a bit more of a shooter than Bill Lambier ever tried. So the development in Becky Hammond's offensive game, sorry, not the the development in Jackie Young's offensive game has been pretty consistent over the last three years, even if it hasn't turned into like a knockdown jump shooter. So I think she can handle that, that small forward role, just fine, even without Angel present and, I imagine they're just going to run a little bit more small lineups with like Kelsey Plum or Quan Williams, Chelsea Gray together and just force teams to run up and down with them because they're so good in transition. And like, if you don't have Liz, you can run five out lineups and with like Asia Wilson at the center and just be devastatingly hard to guard. Uh, having not watched much of them last season, it sounds like that would be a stark contrast to how they played last season. If that's what they're going to do. The thing is it's like, even with Billy and Beer, they were still a good transition team. It's just they never pushed the pace as much as you'd want to. And I I just hope that that's what Becky Hammond does because their roster like screams run and gun. Who would you pick as the better like MVP bet right now? Would it be Asia Wilson or John Quill Jones? It's a great question. Um, so I guess John Quill's the defending MVP. Um, Asia won in 2020. I do wonder if we're going to just have like another name come out of nowhere. Like, cause no one was really picking John Quill at the start of last season. Um, I probably go Asia, uh, just because there's some kind of voter fatigue, you know, when a team does really well in the regular season and craps out in the playoffs and you don't want to exactly reward them again for doing well in the regular season. Yeah. So I do I like think, that. Oh, sorry. I think go Asia. Ahead. I do like when you go through like the MVP winners, there's just like so much more parity in like who is selected compared to the, like, even though there's more teams in the NBA than the NBA winners, it feels like there's more room for, I like the unknown, like going into stuff like that. So. And then with the WNBA, there's like a really consistent run of, Oh, best player on best team wins MVP. Like I think the last last five years, last six years, maybe like the top seed has produced the MVP or maybe like the top two seeds. So it really comes down to which of these teams you think is going to have the best regular season and then just pick the best player on that team. Um, and I think Vegas is going to come out really hot because they're going to be incorporating a new system and they're going to have to try hard. Like it's, they, they underachieved a year ago and um, like, I think they just feel like they have a lot to prove. So I, I'd probably go Asia as a stronger bet than John Quell, but like, I'm not even sure that I would think that she's a great bet, just a better one than JJ at this point. Do you like the idea of the, and I, this could apply to so many different sports, of the MVP award having that sort of, even though it's not set criteria, you just know that it's going to go to the best player on one of the two best teams? Or do you like the idea of it being so open for interpretation to the point that it just becomes like this divisive debate if there's anything other than a, a formality? I kind of like that it comes from the best team because in my opinion, value comes from wins and um, that those, the most wins come on the top teams. Right. So, uh, I mean, the NBA pretty much has this too, right? The top three seeds always win an MVP. Uh, I mean, other than Russell Westbrook, but that was an anomalous situation. So yeah, I, I like it. I, it bugs, it bugs the crap out of me in baseball when you have a player who doesn't make the playoffs and wins MVP and then, it's, it's only really bugs me because it happened a lot when like Barry Bonds is winning MVPs and like the Dodgers were winning the division and not collecting MVP tries. <laughs> uh, I mean, I w- baseball MVP, I wouldn't even be able to figure out because I don't think there's like yeah. any one player that can make like that much of a, of a difference. Uh, so we already talked about some of the new coaches, but of the, f- there were four new hires, I think over the off season, Becky Hammond in Las Vegas uh, or, and we had, Sorry, where am I? Uh, Sandy Brundello is with the Liberty. Um, and why am I missing this list? Maybe I'm... And Vanessa Nygaard. So Vanessa Nygaard in Phoenix. And then Tanisha Wright in Atlanta. Tanisha Wright in Atlanta. Which one of them do you see making, like having the biggest impact on their their new team? Uh, probably Sandy or Becky. Um, maybe Sandy just because Becky already has such a 
high standard like that the aces have lived up to already. But the thing is like wins losses wise, I don't think Becky's going to affect the aces that much because they were already winning so much, like I said, but she could dramatically affect the style of play that Las Vegas plays, which would be far more significant than, you know, the Liberty winning eight more games because you change the style of play. Like you weaponize Asia Wilson all of a sudden, like, I think that's much more important than a team, like moving from the eight to the four seed. Uh, so, um, I just, I'm, I'm low to give like a rookie head coach this much credit before seeing what they are capable of doing. Uh, even though I think it's going to happen. Um, I'd go Sandy Brondell and just hedge my bets. Cause I know she's a good coach. <laughs> And I'm just assuming that Vanessa and Igard is going to be under the brightest spotlight because of the the situation. Oh my gosh! I like they might as well have hired Diana Tarazi as a player coach because she is <laughs> going to be yelling at everyone to get things done, and um, we'll, we'll see what happens there. Um, wanted to get your thoughts on some quick hitters here. Which team, whether we discuss them already or not, do you think had just the best off season so far? In some, it's funny we're doing like a roundtable uh, on this very question for Switch to Peel later, and I've been going back and forth between like seven teams. <laughs> um, uh, I'm going to be a super homer here and say the Los Angeles Sparks had the best offseason because the cardinal sin of the 2021 Los Angeles Sparks was not that they were bad, it's that they were boring and they are no longer boring. Um, and healthier, I guess. Yeah, I mean, they can carry a full 12 player roster this year with the salary cap machinations. So that's going to help quite a bit. Is there a team that had like an underrated offseason that we just didn't talk about when I was asking you the questions? Um, so I already mentioned like everyone. Uh, um, hmm, underrated off season. You know, I think Chicago is getting a lot of love already. Um, you know, Indiana is interesting because like they waived their lottery pick from a year ago. And like, I don't think anyone's expecting them to do much of anything this year, but I think they finally picked a direction. Like they, they got three first rounders in this year's draft. They moved on from Tamika Catchings as GM, which as much as that sucks from like a fan perspective, because she is the Indiana fever. I think they're making just like smart measured decisions to actually, you know, rebuild and move forward, which they have been reluctant to do for the last five years. So even if it doesn't pay off immediately, I think that there is a sign of good things to come for the fever. I am sort of wondering if the mystics just by virtue of them coming out and promising that um, Elena Del Don is going to play in more than three combined games over the next two years. If that's just like one of the <sighs> biggest additions of the off season. <laughs> when Elena Del Don plays the mystics look like just ha- it's, it is night and day between when she does play and when she doesn't play. And, you know, I, I mean, I keep bringing up the sparks, but like the sparks had the misfortune of being in one of the three games that Atlanta Teleton played this season. And they were down by like 30 at the end of the first quarter. Like it was so incredible, the level of ball movement and just player movement that happens when EDD's on the court. Uh, I I never know if she's going to be healthy. So if she is, then like I am highly underrating the Washington Mystics, but I'm just a little, a little shell-shocked after what's happened the last few years. Is there a bigger loser or a team that had a disappointing offseason so far to you? I kind of hope that the Dallas Wings would make some sort of consolidation trade. They have such a deep roster and not everyone gets to play. Um, and they're all like good young players and you could see them developing into stars. But I kind of think there was an opportunity for them to go after a big fish, even if it meant sacrificing two of their smaller players. And it just didn't happen. And so we're basically going to see the same team this year as we did a year ago. And yeah, maybe they'll like make enough internal improvements to where it doesn't matter. But I think there was there was more to be done that didn't happen for the wings. They did. When I was going through all the different articles that had like winners from WNBA free agency or free agency grades, they mm-hmm. were the team that was most mentioned as like no grade or TBD. Incomplete, so, right? <laughs> yeah, you seem like in lockstep with with those thoughts. Mm-hmm. Uh, which offense should we, especially me, be most excited to watch next season? Ooh, good question. Um, I'm excited to watch the Aces just because I think that they could look dramatically different than a year ago. Uh, and then I'm always excited to watch Seattle because Super Jewel Lloyd and Stewie in like three man actions is, is magic. It's just magic. Uh, the last year's team, the aces, they played it like a blistering pace too, right? They were, mm-hmm. they were just super fast. So that I'll definitely can. Do you think the Liberty are going to slow it down under Brundello or should they still be a team that's going to be playing it like a higher octane speed? I think they'll still try to um, 
keep the pace up and like who did they bring in the office and they brought in Dolson who is perfectly capable of like running running up and down like she played three on three and she's a good trail three three-point shooter so yeah my guess is that their their core is best suited to playing fast uh so which team do you think is going to make the biggest take the biggest step back compared to last season and which team would you have is going to make the biggest step forward and you kind of already mentioned the problems with this where how do you define going from like very low win totals to like medium win yeah totals, yeah however you want to like you know interpret it What's crazy is I don't think any team in the league got worse in the top 10. Okay, wow. Which is which is a lot of the teams in the WNBA. Like, right. reminder, there are 12 teams. So I don't think any of the top 10 teams got worse. So that kind of makes it hard to pick an overall loser because uh, Indiana and Atlanta didn't win a ton of games last year. So it's that's so tricky. I guess only because Nafisa Collier is pregnant, like Minnesota could take a step back. Uh, because I think she was their second best player a year ago, uh, like better at some things than Sylvia Fowles, but not nearly as important as Sylvia Fowles. And yeah, they signed Angel McCautry, but Angel's on the latter half of her career. And I, I don't see her being nearly as impactful as Nafisa was in 2021. So if a team like who was actually good last year has to take a step back, I would say it's Minnesota. And that sucks. Cause I, freaking adore Cheryl Reeve and like so many players in Minnesota are so great to watch, but Collier is awesome. And for her not to be around is just sucks. Um, and then as far as a step forward, um, please say, I would say the sky. All right. Fair enough. I would say the sky. Yeah. Because they finished five ago considering that. And I don't think they're a 500 team. Like I think they're a much better team, which obviously the playoffs showed. So yeah. Regular season wins wise, I'm going to say Minnesota takes a step back, Chicago takes a step forward. Uh, do Liberty have a chance under Brundello to take that huge step forward? Like, do we see like cr- um, incredible things or maybe um, Sabrina Yonescu? I, I would love for Sabrina to take a big step forward because, I mean, obviously a big fan, um, you know, for the obvious reasons. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I thought they were going to make a bigger splash in free agency. They had so much cap room to work with. And I think their big swings just like, went like unfulfilled. Like I know they wanted, they had the meetings with like Stewie and Joel Lloyd and uh, I'm sure they made an effort to go after like Maisha and Allen and Emma Miesman and those just didn't pan out. So I do think there's going to be substantial internal improvement there. Like I think Sabrina's going to be much better than she was these last few years, but I just think Chicago has too much talent. Like for that, that team to have been a 500 team is like ridiculous. It's, it's stupid. So I think that's where the biggest one jump is going to come from. Is there anything else, anybody else, anything about this offseason I didn't ask you about that you think we need to to hit on and maybe any draft day storylines that you're monitoring, which I still can't get used to like that there's still not a date for the drafts because I know that they have to, everything happens after the March Madness tournament, I'm assuming. Right. So uh, yeah. I still can't, that's not something I can wrap my head around, to be honest with you. <laughs> you know, usually they've had the draft pretty consistently, like the Wednesday after March Madness. Um, so I'm surprised that they haven't settled on that date yet. I know the last few years they haven't had in-person drafts. So maybe it's just getting back to in-person that's leading to that delay. Good point. Uh, I don't. I don't really have any big draft takes this year. The good classes are coming in 23 and 24. So that's oh, why it's so interesting that Mark, those, those I'm not even that like Aaliyah Boston and Haley Jones next year. So uh, the, the big names are coming in the next couple of years. This one is going to be, I think a little bit of a tamer class, uh, which is why it was so interesting to see so many 2023 picks change hands, because I think that's going to be a really good, really good draft. Uh, we're yeah, see I think we talked about everything. Um, this season and next season then with those draft classes. coming. <laughs> So the, the WNBA lottery actually takes into account the last two seasons. So even tanking for one year doesn't entirely help because, you know, you have to count the wins from the year before, Uh, but Indiana and Atlanta are definitely prepping for like a really good fix in the 2023 draft. Um, Well, thank you for steering me through all this. It was great to uh, pick your brain about it. Uh, Did you have a few minutes to answer some patented NBA Western conference questions before I let you? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Um, I sent you a bunch just to deal with the West of things that I'm like curious about and monitoring post all-star break. Um, feel free to throw your own in there, but I'll throw the first one at you is like, is this sort of a make or break year for the Utah jazz? And if it is, why weren't they more aggressive in doing something other than 
clearing tax room, taking a flyer on Naw and keeping Daniel House at the trade deadline. Just all the noise. I can't, I'm not going to shake the idea that Donovan Mitchell and Rico Bear just don't like each other. Like there's just been too much smoke for there not to be some sort of fire here. And if you, I know they've had excuses over the past two postseasons, but like, sure. You know, losing to a Clippers team that had no, like the Terrence man led Clippers, like that's also not okay. <laughs> yeah. For all the excuses that Utah had last year, I'd argue that the Clippers had a much bigger one. And I think they had excuses like Rudy Gobert could not jump by the end of that series. Uh, he literally lost the tips at the start of games five and six, which never happens. The Clippers never win the tip, especially when they're starting a centerless lineup. So, uh, and then, you know, Donovan Mitchell's ankle was a huge concern as well, but I would say them being able to play is still better than Kawhi Leonard not being able to play. So yeah, those excuses don't really hold a lot of water in my opinion. Um, I would have said this was a make or break year for the Utah jazz. And then Joe Ingles got hurt and it was just sort of not that he's like, you know, the third most important player even on the jazz but it just felt like i don't know like part of their collective soul had broken and like i just don't expect anything from them now uh he was there i just don't trust best passer which is and he was pretty bad this year so like yeah. it is the fact that he was their third most important playmaker though is like kind of scary because now it's is not it- ideal it's not ideal <laughs> but if it's jordan clarkson now like that's a problem you probably trust that's why Trent you invest Clark. in the kill alexander walker i guess <laughs> also also a problem so you if let's just assume they get bounced early in the playoffs which i think is fairly reasonable you wouldn't expect there to be like any core changes here you would ex- you would think it's more likely they just run it back yeah, I think they would just run it back. I mean, what are they going to do? Like, everybody's still under contract. It's not like they have big decisions to make in the offseason. So, I don't know. Just try to find a wing, you know, throw out some of those late later picks that are now available to you. But, yeah, I mean, the Jazz are just kind of disappointing to me now. I had such high hopes for them, and now it just feels like their window has already shut, honestly. We did. Their offense is TAF, which we coined as thermonuclear as fuck on this podcast. Which <laughs> they, they were banged up, but uh, I would nor- I normally agree with you. I'm convinced like they're trading Rudy Gobert's ass if they don't win this year. I don't think it's his fault that they haven't, but you can't get rid of Donovan Mitchell even if you think he's unhappy because I do think just his role in the playoffs is more important, operating from the point of attack and the shots he hits. I kind of expect more wholesale changes if they if they flame out and if they decide to go all in on a Jeremy Grant or if Harrison Barnes become available by making those later first rounders available, why didn't you do that at the trade deadline when those players were in fact available and didn't get moved would be my argument. Harrison Barnes just perpetually available. (laughs) He can't (laughs) now, if you want the Sabonis Fox pairing to work, you, I feel like you have to keep (laughs) extend Harrison Barnes. Yeah, they really should extend him. We're going into a last year of his contract. Oh man. Is there anything uh, that you want to throw out there like that you're very You mentioned about? this on your outline, but do you understand what the Mavericks are doing? <laughs> I have no fucking idea. I get <laughs> the only way I can justify it, and it has nothing to do with on the court, is they broke up. They were so out on Chris Dops, which is which is fine. He was better defensively Defensible. this year, but he thinks he's like needs touches from mid-range and in the post, and it's mm-hmm. like, dude, no. Uh, so you have those smaller contracts, but Spencer Dinwiddie is having his worst year in quite some time couldn't operate next to Bradley Beal. And I know Jason Kidd has been willing to try probably for worse, different things on offense where Luca's not on the ball, but Luca's not any more like less ball dominant than Bradley Beal is. And Dinwiddie once upon a time would give you the rim pressure. You don't have, he is getting to the rim at a career low clip this season. So you've broken it up into smaller contracts, which leads me to believe you think there might be something to do over the off season. And that's your flexibility. It's not even cap space, which doesn't mean a damn thing in Dallas anyway. Like they just, they correct. They, they're the Kings of missing. Um, like Danny Ainge is the, yeah. the king of almost when it comes to making moves. So I have no idea if this works out from a bat, like Davis Bertans. I know he's had knee stuff. I know there was the COVID. Uh, he had COVID last year and it seems like he never recovered. He wasn't even, he was, he's being paid like 15 million a year to be the wizards, like 12th man at one point. <laughs> I just don't, and I maybe they help on offense because Dallas's offense is so vanilla. But you did trade your best rim protector when you've had the most surprising defense in the league, I think. And I know it was predicated on or is on keeping opponents out of transition. And then I think we're probably not talking enough about how they've gotten lucky on opponent three point shooting from deep. It was just, I don't know the 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 potential payoff here doesn't feel worth uh, not even selling 
low on Kristaps. Just it feels like he still gave you the immediate higher ceiling, and you didn't give yourself enough outs to me in that trade. Yeah, I don't see how this makes Dallas better now or in the future. And like, if neither of those two times, then when? Uh, I understand moving on from Kristaps. I get it. It's just you have to get something back. And like, I was just super high on Davis Bertans back in 1920 when he was like king of my fantasy team and I was winning the three point category every week. But like, what does he do for you? I don't understand. Like, you can't play him defensively. Spencer Dinwiddie, I've never understood the draw with. Uh, I don't know why teams were clamoring to like, get him a year ago but uh, I just I don't understand it I I hope for better for Luca because he is so awesome and I just want him to be surrounded by good players and the Mavericks seem incapable of doing so maybe it'll be addition by subtraction because you don't have like the the ego like personality on offense so it's like you can distribute the touches differently but you have Jalen Brunson and it's like was this supposed to inoculate you against Jalen Brunson getting paid too much yeah. money? I'd rather pay like, Does Jaylen this make Jalen Brunson feel better that you've brought in another point guard as his potential replacement? Like, I'm all for a vibes-clearing trade. I get that. <laughs> I just don't think Spencer Dinwiddie is the guy you bring in when you're making a vibes-clearing trade when everyone on Washington is so happy that he's gone. Yeah, it was... Uh, Beal asked... I said this on trade day. Beal asked for Sabonis. The Wizards gave him Porzingis and got rid of Dinwiddie's pep talks instead which is like that's a fine that's fair that's fair yeah. uh that quote is like it's gonna be tattooed in memory where it was doing like yeah i tried to be a leader and talk but they weren't really about what i had to say oh my gosh uh the other one of the biggest questions i had which i think was answered before we recorded this podcast is will zion williamson play this season and word is he needs a second foot surgery so i'm gonna go ahead and say no <laughs> i'm mm. curious where you're at with that it makes me so sad. Uh, I don't know if people who are listening to the show know, but I am a Duke alum and I love Zion deeply, deeply. And he's just another player who is tremendously fun to watch. And I worry that we're getting Greg Oden type situation from him. And it's, ah, it's such a bummer, especially because I think New Orleans is like finally doing some things right. Uh, like I liked the moves that they made at this trade deadline. And I don't know, like Brandon Ingram and Zion should be awesome that should be a duo that we're talking about like in the same breath as like John Morant and Jaron Jackson Jr. And yet, you know, the Pelicans are just fighting for the 10th seed. Like that's, it's lame. It sucks. If he did come back though, that's like a team all of a sudden with CJ McCollum. And I don't know, they had played better defensively for a huge portion of the year. You add they have like five good players, honestly. <laughs> right. If you add CJ and Matt and Zion, I imagine that wouldn't continue, but that wouldn't be a team. No, I wouldn't pick them to beat the Warriors. If you like, I wouldn't want to face a Pelicans team with Zion with Brandon Ingram playing like this. And then just having CJ McCollum's bucket getting experience, like in, in the playoffs, that's what I think has always been underappreciated in his game is it's scaled to the postseason for the most part. That's not a team that I would want to face, but I guess there's not a lot of teams I'd want to face in the West unless it's like, do you want to face him? Frankly, yeah. <laughs> uh, I'll get you out of here with this one. How do you sort of see the play-in spots shaking out? One through six seems set, like Dallas, Denver, Memphis, Utah, Golden State, Phoenix. But right now, you have teams that are trying to get to ten, like one of those final four spots, and the Wolves, Kings, Pelicans, Clippers, I would say, and Lakers. And there are two teams in Portland and San Antonio that the way they've played since the deadline or Portland since Dame's injury might fall ass backwards into that. Mm -hmm. So if I forced you to choose your four play-in teams, who would you roll with? I'm going to be super boring and just pick the four that are uh, actually trying to win. So um, Minnesota, the Pelicans, and the LA teams. I wouldn't expect the Clippers to be in this, but they like Tyloo has to be in the coach of the year discussion at this point, right? Like what makes him such a great coach? So you know how I was talking about the Chicago Sky earlier and how like you watch them and that's not a 500 team. Like I watched the Clippers on a good night. Like you cannot fathom how this team is under 500 like they play so hard uh they try so many unique things on defense like they're always prepared uh they just don't have enough offensive juice i guess but Ty Lu, i think one like people just adore him and he's just great personality people are willing to like run through walls for him so that's a big part of it he's so whip smart with his adjustments like the things that he's able to fix mid-game like most coaches it takes them like you know, halftime or like you'd have to like call time out and actually fix it. And I know Chauncey was saying this when Portland came to play the like the Clippers that like Ty just fixes it on the fly. And like, while you're thinking about are like, okay, how am I going to adjust it? Is like Ty's, he's already gotten to it. Uh, and the fact that the Clippers can actually execute on his adjustments, like in the middle of a game is I think a testament to how 
one, they have so many good veterans, but like just what a great job the coaching staff has done of making their players flexible. It's a, it's a damn shame that Kawhi is not going to come back this year because I think this Clipper team could be just generationally good, honestly, if Kawhi were healthy. Uh, but yeah, I don't, I don't think it's a, a team that like went to the conference finals and now is fighting for the plan boasts your typical coach of the year resume. So that's probably why Ty's not going to get in there. But like, if you talk to people around the league, I think there's a consensus that Ty is like a top three coach at worst. And so for him to never be in a position where he's actually going to win coach of the year is kind of silly, but that's just how these, this award works. Uh, but yeah. He's, he's awesome. Like just, just really, really good. Can you imagine if the Lakers had just like ponied up and given him money? <laughs> no, look, the Lakers are cry poverty at every turn. They need yeah. a, they need a federal government loan program that helps them with uh luxury tax payments. Uh, and they gave it back. <laughs> They didn't want to take on the Dave McMenamin reporting coming to the deadline where he's where the Lakers said they were in lockstep with AD and LeBron, that they were fine not making moves. And then McMenamin's like, sources told me that is in fact not true. And AD and LeBron wanted the Lakers to make moves. Uh, they're mm-hmm. they're a disaster. But the Clippers are I I the fact that they're even, I know they had Paul George for a while and like they do have defensive talent, but like this isn't shouldn't be like a top five defensive team, even when you're looking at no, it. No, it doesn't seem like it. Yeah. Um, and I also would like to learn Nicholas Batum's like catches it over his head, but shoots it in the same motion. Like he has to be shooting at least on those specific catch and shoot looks at least 75% because I don't think I've seen him yeah. miss one of those all season. If you go to a Clipper shoot around, that is literally all Batum does is just high release threes over and over again. That's, that's all he's working on, which is great. I mean, like I remember growing up and like, uh, you constantly hearing about uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar teaching the Laker bigs, like keep the ball high, keep the ball high. And like, that was my favorite thing about Pau Gasol was that like he would get an entry and like keep the ball high. Nick Batum just takes that to like an absolutely different level. <laughs> you don't need to keep the ball high out on a three-point range with his, his releases. It's insane. It's so cool. And his like renaissance in LA, just in general, we talked about this leading into the season that he led them in total minutes last year has been, maybe yeah. feel good as a Hornets fan, but like, it's been really fun to watch. To have lost Nico Batum and Malik Monk in back-to-back off-seasons for minimum contracts has to suck. If you lost Malik Monk for the minimum, though, that's that's on you. You clearly didn't want him. And so, like, that's yeah. that's got to be a little He's easier. good. I don't understand why they didn't want him. Or is the bar for the Lakers just that low? I mean, he's been good. I, I think Monk is good. I think Monk is good. Uh, and he'll leave after the off-season because they don't have bird rights. Yeah, he will uh, have priced himself out. I did... I, Unless he is so happy with his uh, rumored new girlfriend, Iggy Azalea, in Los Angeles that he wants to stay here. He's dating Iggy Azalea? I did not know that. He is following the Nick Young blueprint to a freaking T. Uh, well, let's let's hope not to a freaking T because that didn't end so well for, for Nick Young. Uh, There's one step that I would hope for Malik Monk to avoid. Uh, and it probably includes hanging out with D'Angelo Russell or anyone who's a special. Yeah, right. Uh, you could also just be faithful would be the alternative, but... Yeah. Throwing out both options. The Clippers, lastly, I'm hoping they bring back Rocco and are able to keep Batum. I think he still has a player option for next year. Yeah. They have so many interesting now with if Kawhi's healthy, PG's healthy. We also didn't talk about like they might not have Norman Powell now for the rest of the season all of a sudden. Like, what the mm-hmm. hell? Uh, they have so many like no guard small ball lineups that I would just love to see them trot out if you bring all those guys back. And so that's why I'm hoping they're still pretty much. I know people were like, oh, Rocco might just be a rental because they want to make the playoffs. I'm like, fuck no, bring him back. Like Portland was trying him at the <laughs> five and you're specifically built to play that way. Yeah, I will say that the no guard all wing lineups don't work nearly as well when none of your guards are primary ball handlers. I mean, none of your wings are primary ball handlers. Like the Clippers without Reggie Jackson on the floor are a disaster at the moment because they don't have a backup point guard. And I get like, if you have to include Eric Bledsoe as matching salary in a Norman Powell trade, you do it like a hundred times out of a hundred. Right. But uh, if this team like actually wants to be good in a playoff series um, and, you know, Paul George and Kawhi Leonard are unavailable. Like, I do think, I do think there's a way that the Clippers could be a real nuisance to the Warriors or the Suns in a playoff series, even without their two stars. Like, I don't think they would win said series, but I think they could be really, really uncomfortable for them. You got to get some sort of point guard off the buyout market, though, in order for that to happen because Reggie Jackson's having to play like 40 minutes and it's a disaster when he's off the court. Uh, hashtag Dennis Shooter, hashtag Ron Dragic. I don't know what other points yeah. would be available for them. Yeah, I mean, Semi Ojale is just, you know, sitting in a roster spot, no real need for him. Uh, would you? So the Clippers without Kawhi or the Nuggets without 
Jamal Murray slash Michael Porter Jr., who would pose a bigger threat in a Warriors if they're going up against the Warriors or the Suns? You would think it's the Clippers just because of how they defend? I would think the Clippers because of how they defend. Yeah, yeah, because they're just going to attack. Like, the Warriors are just going to attack Jokic over and over again. It is a podcast with us on it, though, so I do feel obligated to ask, do you have any Sterling Brown or DeLon Wright takes that you need to uncork before where are sterling brown and delon right these days Sterling, <laughs> I think sterling brown is one of the good the not good players that surrounds luka Doncic. uh and delon Wright is still in atlanta hanging out with old friend lou williams for them too yeah i've always been uh intrigued by the theory of delon Wright. that utah team with him and kyle kuzma and Jakob Pertl, that was a good college team uh and he just even like Looking back at his time in Toronto, like he ran some really feisty bench units when they're primary. Yeah, player. that's right. He was part of those uh, Kyle Lowry plus bench units, right? Yeah. Um, Sabrina, this was awesome as usual. You're able to tell our listeners where they can find you on social media and all the great work that you do. Yeah, so I'm on uh, social media on Twitter at Sabrina JM, and you can find all my work covering women's basketball at swishpeel.com. Uh, do follow her she's a fantastic follow great basketball mind thank you so much again for giving me a bunch of your time and i hope as you know by now i'm going to be pestering you down the road so i will be talking to you soon yeah even having moved out of the nba you still found a way to get me back <laughs> yeah and you were able to uplift the podcast like you always do i found a way for you to ferry the podcast even more than normal 